Uh, every week we go to the scriptures because it's there. The person and work of Jesus are most clearly revealed. Uh, our, our sermon text this week is from Matthew uh, 21. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on a foal of the beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from trees and spread them out on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Peace be with you. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Welcome again to Sojourn Heights. My name is Dodds, and I'm one of the pastors here. Very glad to be with you all this morning. Uh, last week, we concluded our series in the book of Matthew, focused on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And this week, we are coming to the end of our Lenten season, which has always been a particularly precious season for the church. Uh, today, it's just an interesting intersection in, in the church calendar. Uh, we are still <laughs> technically in Lent, and yet Holy Week is beginning. Jesus' death on the cross can't be separated from the cross that we are called to bear in union with him. So Lent naturally becomes the season of mortality and repentance. But I'd, I'd like to submit to you also that it's very similar to Advent because it is also a time of longing. In Advent, we become more intimately aware of our King and his first coming, and we long for his second coming. And in Lent, we become more intimately aware of our sin, and we long to be set free from it. Today, we come to the first day of Holy Week known as Palm Sunday, and on Palm Sunday, we commemorate Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And that's the reason that we have these palm branches set out today. We as the people of God cry out to the Lord for salvation. We join the people who cry out in our text today, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. That's straight from Psalm 118. Hosanna is a Hebrew word that means, please save us. So at the intersection of Lent and Palm Sunday, this little bit of overlap in the beginning of Holy Week, how, 
how should we be feeling and thinking today? It might be hard to answer that question because we know the end of the story. We know the end of this week, and so there's, for many of us, there's not much need for a spoiler alert. We might be able to experience a sense of joy every time we read the account of Palm Sunday and Holy Week, but we also know that Good Friday is coming, and by the end of that day, the king that we welcome today will be in the grave. So today, do we celebrate or do we mourn? Entering Jerusalem on this very first Palm Sunday, Jesus is heralded as the king. The people saw him as the answer to Caesar, a new political regime that would rid them of Roman occupation and oppression. So they, they welcomed their Jewish Caesar into the capital city as their new king, why would they not be excited? There is so much cause for celebration. And yet at the same time that we see many elements of a kingly coronation here, Jesus knew that this was also a funeral procession. He knew that he would need to die in order for his enemies to be defeated and for his rule to be established. So Palm Sunday might be more of a blended experience for us because it was for Jesus. The crowds welcome him and cry out to their king, you who come in the name of Yahweh, save us. And they were right to welcome him as king because he was their king. Just like the beatitude kingdom that he described that we have been looking at for a number of weeks, Jesus would not achieve victory the way that anyone expected. Jesus always does the unexpected. (laughs) As we saw through the Sermon on the Mount, the nature of his kingdom is not anything that anyone expected. And when we get to Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday this week, it will appear as though the Roman Empire overthrows Jesus, this Jewish insurrectionist upstart. But Jesus never planned to only defeat the Romans. Doing that would have been too small a conquest. He didn't want to be just a new Caesar. He wanted to be the king of Caesar. He didn't come to claim authority over one empire, but every empire. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, he'll say. Jesus came to be the king of all of it, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the Caesar of Caesars. Before we look at our our passage today, let's get a bit of context though. Because on one hand, we have here the scribes and the Pharisees that have been conspiring against Jesus, plotting a way to destroy him. And in the other hand, we have the people of the Sermon on the Mount that have been coming to this great teacher who, who teaches with authority that seems to exceed the scribes and the Pharisees. If we look at the rest of Matthew's gospel, we see this chronicle of people regularly streaming to Jesus as, as is described in Isaiah 60. 
So there are two opposing political forces converging in Jerusalem during Passover in this chapter. There are those who intend to kill Jesus and those who desire to make him their king. And the Passover festival was was a time of year when the Jewish people were celebrating their liberation from Egyptian captivity and slavery. So this was a, a natural time for the people to express their desire for freedom and independence from Roman oppression. There were often riots in Jerusalem during the Passover season, and the, the Romans would send additional troops in Jerusalem to, to quash any insurrections. And, and with such an opposition set against Jesus, maybe the people, they may have been wondering whether or not Jesus would come at all. But he does. And on his way to Jerusalem in the midst of all this chaos and turmoil and heat, Jesus does something incredible. He heals two blind men on his way out of Jericho. Do do we feel like the world is a bit chaotic right now? Not just in COVID. Do we feel the, the chaos around us, in us? See, in the midst of an anxious world, a confused world, a world of political chaos, of cultural upheaval, we're wondering, what should followers of Christ do? What should we do? I think if we're looking at our king, we should rage against the chaos by offering our neighbors a taste of God's peace. Sojourn, do not underestimate the power of personal hospitality in the midst of chaos. Meals shared together. Moments shared together. Kindnesses and graces and justice done to our neighbors. Our God is a God who sets us a table before us in the presence of our enemies. So getting close to people, sharing a meal, sharing justice, this is our kingdom protest. These are our kingdom protests in kindness and gentility and peace. Because it says to the world, we do see the chaos. It's just not our greatest reality. That is not what life is like in the good, good kingdom to which we belong. Our king has come to bring peace and not chaos. So let's read together. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them, bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. It's very important for us to know that that Jesus does not settle for anything here. He is not caught looking for a horse, and all that he finds is a donkey. 
These are conscious choices that he is making as he rides into Jerusalem ready for the confrontation. He doesn't sneak into Jerusalem over, under cover of night. He rides in as loudly as he possibly can. For him, the time of ministering in relative obscurity and silence has, has come to an end. But as, but as Matthew indicates here so, so richly, this isn't just the courage of the king, it is his wisdom. Jesus' choices and timing here are an on-purpose fulfillment of Scripture. The prophecy itself is from Zechariah 9, and by embodying this Scripture, Jesus is making incredible claims according to his kingship. He is not just the prophet, he is the king. He is the conquering king, humble and riding on a donkey. And it's really in the Old Testament. There are so many references to this. I wish we could look at all of them because they're so wonderful. But it's in the Old Testament that the association with donkeys and ruling kingship begin. We first see it in Genesis 49 when, when Jacob blesses his son Judah and designates him as the royal tribe. The tribe to which, as he says, the scepter and ruler's staff will come. It reads this way. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine. You see that? The vine, Jesus the vine. And his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. So when Jesus sends two disciples to get a donkey and a colt, they know that Jesus is claiming to be this very offspring of Judah, the promised king, the one who will hold the ruling scepter, the one to whom all the obedience of the peoples will be. And even though we think of donkeys today as much lesser animals, in ancient Israel, they were considered to be royal animals. Kings who intended war climbed up on horses, but kings who intended peace climbed up on donkeys. Jesus here, claiming his kingship, fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah, fulfilling the promise made to Judah, riding in as the humble king. He is the greater Saul. He is the greater Judah. He is the greater David, the greater Solomon. And truth be told, yes, it's, it's not much of a presidential motorcade visually, right? Jesus is not surrounded by bodyguards or secret service. The red carpet at the Grammys is far less accessible than the king of all things. Do you remember when I mentioned a few weeks ago about the closeness that Jesus calls us to embody in his kingdom as his bride? that we're to be a close and personal people. Think for a moment about Jesus' position and placement in this scene. Think about what it means to ride in on a donkey this way and not on a horse. He, he is low to the ground. He is near to the people. 
He is humble. He is accessible. He's easy to get to. Presidents and celebrities, heads of state, the, the most famous among us, they, they're not easy to get close to. Very few do. But the one who calls us to draw close to each other and to the Father, he draws close to. He draws close to you, to us. He is within arm's reach. He does not withdraw. He gets close. He gets personal. He gets intimate. Let's keep reading. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him, that followed him, before and following, shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. In the gospel of Luke, we're told that the crowd spread their garments on the ground before him. In the gospel of John, they laid palm branches before him. And in Matthew's gospel, they do both. This was an ancient version of rolling out the red carpet for someone. It was a form of elevation, exaltation. By laying down their garments, the people were symbolically throwing their very selves down before Jesus and saying, you are the conquering king. You are my king. You are our king. And by laying down their palm branches, the people were welcoming, heralding their hero, with their garments, they bowed to him. With their branches, they welcomed him. And Jesus rides into Jerusalem in order to win a great victory. He rides into Jerusalem to conquer the enemy, no question. The people, though, thought Rome was the enemy, but Jesus had come to defeat an enemy even more powerful. He didn't come to defeat Caesar. He came to defeat Satan. He did not come to deliver Israel from Rome. He came to deliver us all from sin. He did not come to bring death. He came to defeat death. The people cried, Hosanna, please save us. And, and Jesus heard them, but he did not meet their immediate needs. He met their ultimate needs, their deepest needs. He saved them from death itself. And in a world of political and personal chaos, Jesus is good, righteous, and humble. This humble king who is worthy of our allegiance. And again, he does not conquer the way that we expect, but he does conquer the way the Bible teaches us to expect. He does not come to bring peace for Israel alone. He comes to bring peace to everyone. Psalm 46, he makes wars cease in all the earth. He breaks the bow, he shatters the spear, he burns the chariots with fire. Isaiah 2, he beats swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. The nations cease to learn war. 
Zechariah 9, he cuts off the chariot and the war horse and the battle bow. He speaks peace to the nations. Jesus conquers all and claims authority over all by way of love. His actions are no less courageous and no less kingly and almost miraculously, most miraculously of all, he conquers his enemy without shedding anyone's blood but his own. Palm Sunday teaches us that the kingdom of God comes confidently and yet peacefully. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He did not initiate his kingdom with traditional weapons of warfare. He rode out to battle on a donkey and he defeated our greatest enemies with self-sacrificial love. He was the one who said in John, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. His kingdom comes peacefully, and that is still true. So, so again, here we are. Sojourn, we're here on Palm Sunday. What should we be thinking and feeling? Should we celebrate or mourn? I think the answer is yes. <laughs> but each at the appropriate time. Palm Sunday, it, Palm Sunday feels ambiguous because it's launching us into this week of the lowest lows and the highest highs. Because on, on Good Friday, we will mourn the darkest day in human history. And then on, sun, on Easter Sunday, we'll celebrate the brightest. On Good Friday, we are learning to be a deep people. On Easter Sunday, we're learning to be a joyful people. If I, if I could bring us all the way back to the Beatitudes, blessed are those who are Good friday for they will be Eastered. Can we say that? Deep and joyful each at the appropriate time, and during all that time, like Jesus, getting close to one another, our neighbors, one another, our, our humble and accessible king. So the, the church calendar and the gospel itself are forming us and shaping us into the sort of community that the world needs us to be in a time of cultural and political chaos, deep, joyful, personal. To use a word coined by Nassim Taleb, we are becoming an anti-fragile community. Anti-fragile is not the same as resilient. Resilient communities don't break under pressure, but anti-fragile communities thrive and grow under pressure. This is how and why the church tends to multiply and grow stronger under persecution. We are meant to be the world's most anti-fragile institution. COVID-19 has never been a threat to the church's existence. It's never been. 
Jesus, in Jesus, if we are a deep and joyful, wise and attentive to the spirit people, we will grow and we will thrive when things get difficult. In the face of chaos, we practice generosity, hospitality, and in the process, King Jesus continues his peaceful conquest of our own hearts, our neighbors, and our neighborhoods. And we are, we are praying, Sojourn. We are praying toward a day when the Prince of Peace has conquered Houston and the Heights. We're praying toward a day when all things that are brought under loving and peaceful dominion of the King who rides on a donkey, that is the invitation that we are extending to our neighbors and that is worth giving our entire lives for. To close this morning, I wanted to read a, a Palm Sunday poem by Malcolm Geit, who is a priest and poet and songwriter. If you, if you have not heard of him, I, I encourage you to read more of his writings. Um, they are wonderful. This is his poem on Palm Sunday. Now to the gate of my Jerusalem, the seething holy city of my heart. The Savior comes, but will I welcome him? Oh, crowds of easy feelings make a start. They raise their hands, get caught up in the singing, and think the battle won. Too soon they'll find the challenge, the reversal he is bringing changes their tune, I know what lies behind. The surface flourish that so quickly fades, self-interest and fearful guardedness. The hardness of the heart, its barricades, and at the core, the dreadful emptiness. Of a perverted temple, Jesus come. Break my resistance and make me your home. Let us pray. King Jesus, we come to you. We throw our garments down before you. You are our king. Lord, we long to be more, more fully conquered Lord, by the work of the spirit and the work of your word. Conquer us even more. Lord, we welcome you. We herald you as our hero, as our king. We lay our palm branches down before you. And so, Lord, we ask as you, as you come into your house today, as you are with us and as you approach each one of our hearts today, will you make us? Lord, through, the, through Palm Sunday, through Maundy Thursday, through Good Friday, through Easter Sunday, will you make us a deep joyful, personal people. Those who are aware and intimately acquainted with their sin and who are so intimately acquainted with your grace. Lord, make us a people who are generous and who make our protests with kindness and peace. that, the, that, that the, the picketing against darkness would look like having people around our table. The Lord, the cry against injustice would be the kindnesses that we show to our neighbors, words of life 
words of encouragement, generosity where our mouths are opened, our hearts are opened, our wallets are opened. Lord, may we protest in, in truly in, in, in radical acts of hospitality. You have welcomed us. You have been so hospitable to us. Lord, make, make us your home. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you have, and I pray that you would even make it more so with us. May we be also a home for others. Will you welcome them here? Will you welcome them to yourself? Will you get close? May we get close as well. Help us, we pray, to this end. For your glory, for your name. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.